You're listening to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, sponsored by Mission First Capital, bringing real estate investment deals for active duty and veteran investors. Your host, Anthony Pinto, searched land, air, and sea to find military investors just like you investing in multifamily and commercial real estate, both active duty and veterans. Hear their stories, learn their lessons, and be inspired by the obstacles they have overcome on their path to financial freedom. Whether you are overseas or stationed at home, if you want to get started as a military real estate investor, this is the show for you. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. I'm so excited to have you guys here today on the revamped new and improved version of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I wanted to refocus on my mission here in life uh, with this podcast, and that is to help teach and inspire 1 million military members and veterans to achieve financial freedom through real estate. And as a part of the March to a Million campaign, my call is to show you the path to freedom of time and money, whether you intend to stay in for 20 years or get out next year. And so listen to the stories of fellow military members and investors just like you struggling, overcoming and achieving success in multifamily real estate and even some of them doing it while active duty and really dig into their lessons learned as well as their failures on their path to success. Uh, But you came here for the show, so let's get to it. Hey learners and welcome back to another episode of the Lessons in Real Estate show. Uh, as always, we like to have a lot of military guys or prior military guys on here and it so happens to, to be that this guy uh, that we're going to talk to you today, Josh, is, uh, is a diving and special operations forces officer and he's been in for 20 years. And only that, but he, we had a conversation earlier that he's kind of been bouncing around to different markets and, and seen a lot of growth and, and um, taking advantage of, of buying properties. Uh, over that 20 years. And now he's the owner of Baker Realties, which is passionate about working with transitioning military families. So Josh, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see someone who has, who is still serving um, and has done it for over 20 years and has made a really great career for themselves outside of, of the Navy and outside of the military as well. Um, and you know, you were talking, you've been, you've been pretty much doing real estate since you've been in uh, the whole time. So, uh, but let's start with your, your military background and and how that led you into what you're currently doing with real estate. Oh, awesome. So I joined the Navy when I was 19, uh, just came right into boot camp, uh, you know, fresh out of high school. Um, and then I went, I was actually going in as being a crypto tech. And, uh, crypto, you know, my mom talked me into that. She's like, cause I want to be a diver and she's like, no, you got to go do something with your brain. So go be crypto tech. So I went to, uh, boot camp, and my buddies, as I'm going to get interrogated to, they're asking me a bunch of questions on, you know, for my, um, security clearance. And I, I'm getting asked all these questions, doing all this paperwork. And I come back, my buddies are like working out and I'm like, dude, what are you guys doing? Like, well, we're in the diver COD thing and we're going to work out every day. So needless to say, I switched right away. I was like, I can get, I can do that. So I went and did the PST and I went and became a diver, went down to dive school. And then my first duty station uh, ended up being in Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, I was a E3 diver working on Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia, working on all the ships. And then I did four years at, at ship's husbandry command. And then I went, over to Little Creek, which is in Virginia, my next duty station at SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 2. 
and I did four years there. Um, and that's where I, uh, I made up to the ranks of first class by then, uh, moved, went over to mobile diving and salvaging at two in Virginia, still Virginia beach. And that is in little Creek. And, uh, I made chief the first year I was there and I was there for four years during that time frame. Uh, I, I made multiple deployments, uh, South, South America, Southcom deployment. And then I did, uh, Bahrain. And then I was in the training aspect where I, I was training guys down in Key West all the time. So I got real hard duty right there, you know, <laughs> but, uh, so after that four years, I went over to EOD group, EOD group two, and I was on staff there as a chief. And I spent three years there in that time frame. I made master diver and got selected to warrant officer. And, um, once I got selected to warrant officer, I went back to mobile diving salvage unit. I ran the underwater robotics division there for three years. And then I transferred from there at, at, the, at that point, there was no warrant officer billets for me in Virginia. And that's like 17, 18 years I had in Virginia. And they're like, uh, we're going to send you down to Kings Bay, Georgia. So uh, I went down to Kings Bay, Georgia, and that's where I'm at now. Uh, that's where I'm being, that's where I'm stationed at. I live in Florida in Fernandina beach on Amelia Island. Um, but I, uh, tr I commute about 45 minutes to Kings Bay, Georgia, where I'm a diving and special operation forces officer for a submarine squadron. So that's where I'm at now. I got 20 years in we this October and I will probably retire after this tour, which would be October of 2023. Solid man. You're so close to, you the, to the end there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's uh it's it's I've always heard that if you want to stay in Norfolk, you pretty much can spend your whole career there. And it's it's rare that I've found someone who pretty much has done that. Um but uh yeah, Norfolk, I mean I, I was there for four, five, four years um in a while. And you know, the the market there was um was crazy when I was going through it. I mean, we were kind of seeing um remnants of what we're seeing now back back then in 2016 2017 and and you know a lot of it wasn't nearly as many as many people um getting involved with with buying real estate in that area but it was still pretty hot and you were still having trouble finding deals that you know were, weren't were going to be on the market for greater than you know, three days four days right stuff was getting snapped up real quick so um i'm sure that uh that's somewhat similar to what you experienced uh uh over these you know past few years there but um did you, did you start buying real estate, you know, kind of at each command that you're at? Obviously you're in the same area for a long time. So how did that uh, get you into real estate? So I had, uh, I had a buddy uh, that was a mentor of mine. I was an E3 over at, uh, at Norfolk and he was a, a first class, but he's better. I'm talking about, he was probably uh, 15 years older than I was. And he had three houses. And he lived in one, he had a couple of, of them rented out and he was buying another one. So he's buying his fourth house. I'm like, what is going on? So I started like asking questions like, Hey, what's this? And so he, he just threw a book at me, rich dad, poor dad. He's like, just read this. And I was like, okay. And I asked a million questions. And then, so needless to say, like I, once I got my BAH, I was reading this book and then I'm sitting in my apartment complex and I'm looking at the, you know, the, the $1,400 I'm spending a month in my apartment complex. And I'm like, okay, I got this and it's doing nothing for me. And then I start adding up how many apartments are in this apartment complex. 
And then I start multiplying the amount of money that I'm paying a month times that. See how much these people are making. I'm like, oh my God, this is this is crazy. It's very lucrative. And I'm like, I need to do that for myself. So what I what I did is I ended up uh, I ended up going and trying to buy a house, and everybody told me no. Like you can't, you don't have, you don't make enough money as an E3. So I found a buddy of mine, and he was you know he was planning on trans like getting out of the Navy in, in like three years. So I was like, you know, hey, look we'll buy this house. And then I told him over a time I'll buy him out of the house. So I, used, I had him help leverage. So we both had our, our uh, income to go to buy the house back then. I think you could do that. I'm not sure if that's able right now. Uh, if you're able to get a friend to help buy a house in that, um, not, I'm not positive on how that works, mm-hmm. but back then it was, it was very easy to get a loan. It was before 2008. So we, we just combined incomes. We, we got uh, this house, I like got a four bedroom house and yeah, I, he didn't even stay in it. He stayed in an apartment and I had the house. I stayed in one room in there and I rented the other three house, the other, the other three rooms out. At one point I was running three room, uh, other three rooms out. I had a guy staying in his fifth wheel outside of the house. I was renting him space of the yard for that, which it's illegal. So I'm not saying don't go and do that. But I, <laughs> at the time that we were like, I'll rent this space. I'm like, sure, whatever. And another guy was like, Hey, can I sit at your house for a few months and rented to, to he's like, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks to stay on the couch. I'm like, yeah, you stay on the couch in my room. So I got, I mean, everything I never paid for like almost a decade until I got married. I didn't pay uh rent that from there on out. So it was, it was pretty nice. Yeah. So what you're describing is this, uh, is the idea of, of house hacking and um, it's it had, it had a tremendous success to it. Something similar with, with a uh, smaller multifamily property that way. But um, you know, it's, it's, it is, uh, it's lucrative, but it's, it doesn't seem like it's, it's for everyone. Um, you know, and I'm sure being a single enlisted guy, you know, you had a lot of other friends that were also single that were, you could kind of lump together. And that was kind of my experience when I was, a um, you know, younger and single and we we're doing training and, you know, it didn't, didn't matter who you're rooming with. Cause you, you know, you had four or five roommates and everyone just kind of kept to themselves. So, um, yeah. you know, for someone looking at that kind of situation saying, Hey, like, I, you know, I'm an E3 and E2, I want to be able to do this and, and I can't, um, you know, what, what's a, what's a good piece of advice to, to try to one, find those types of places and, and know what you're looking for in the houses to buy, but two, also to kind of get your finances together to be able to qualify for a deal like that. So that, what, what I could say to any E3 that's out there that was wanting or that wants to buy a house and that's their goal is to go do that. Make that your main focus. Don't worry about buying that new car and getting that, you know, you know, using up your credit for, for a car or anything else, like make that your main goal. And for one, once you, once you find a place, you don't, for me, I always look at a place. I'm not looking at something that is picture perfect, beautiful that I'm moving into. I look at something that is habitable that I can move into that also I can improve completely different. You know what I'm saying? That I can, I, there's a bathrooms that need to be improved. The kitchens need to be improved. The floors, needs new paint like there's it's a project and not everybody can do that because not everybody you know is, is, is handy I, I've been working on houses since a, I was eight years old with my dad so I know how to do pretty much anything in a house from plumbing electrical roofing everything um so a little bit different but if you can work on little projects and YouTube makes everybody a handy person nowadays so that's what I would look at for an e3 look at something that is manageable that you can uh you know that needs to be fixed up a little bit and then fix it up as you're staying there for three years until you get stationed or four years. And whenever you, you know, have to transfer to another duty station, 
you're going to improve that house in such a way that just the appreciation of having that over that three years is going to go up, but also the improvements in your property are going to be great and you'll be in a good spot. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's awesome advice for those that, that are handy and can take down those. Cause it's, um, you know, it, I think it's a, a great advantage to be able to have the, that resource, that resourcefulness, um, but also have the ability to, to say, Hey, and, and look at us and say, Hey, like, this is not something scary to me. And this is something like I can actually live in and, you know, and, and put a little bit of love and, and money into. Um, but uh, I think with real, <laughs> with real estate, in my experience is you're never going to find the perfect exact house that you want to live in and not have anything to do with it. Right. Um, and, and be priced at the, at the, at the place where you want it to be priced, it seems like. Right. So, uh, you know, I think the standards of how you go about looking at houses is, is really important. Um, cause if, if you're trying to find something that you think it's going to be a good price that you can house hack or rent out rooms in and probably not have to put any work in and, and find a price that actually makes sense. You can cash flow. It's probably, uh, it's probably going to be really hard to, to find a deal like that. So I think that makes a lot of sense is, is find a house that you can put a little bit of sweat equity into to really make it worthwhile in the end. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you spent 10 years in that house um, of, you know, half of your time in Norfolk. What, what did you end up doing after that? So we, uh, well, my wife, uh, well, girlfriend at the time, she moved into the house and she came up from Florida. She's like, Hey, I'm, I'm here with you and we're going to, you know, whatever. And I have like three guys that live in the house. She's like, I don't know if this is going to work. I'm like, Oh, it's fine. You know, whatever. And she's like, I'm going to get an apartment. So she got an apartment and then I was like, okay, I guess I got to move out of this, uh, house. And so I moved in the apartment, but I'm not okay with living in apartments. Like I talked to you, uh, I mean, I, 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 don't want to live in an apartment because I look at the money that I'm putting into an apartment is not going back to my pocket at all. Mm -hmm. So the way I looked at it, I was like, we need to get out of this apartment as soon as possible. So I found another house. We bought another house and I ended up renting out the rest of that house. Uh, but, and um, so that's where I moved on. We got another house, fixed it up and lived in that for a while. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of once we, I did that for, wow, I was in that house for five to seven years, I believe. So, yeah. And, and at the same time, renting the other house out and it gave me minimal problems. Um, but before I moved out of that house to go and let just renters have it, I did a lot of things to it to make it kind of rental renter proof, if you will. Um, if you want to talk about that, what, what that looks like. Sure. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So what I did is I looked at, okay, one, the flooring I had in there was like a laminate flooring. I had to change that out. Once it came up LVP flooring, that's like just a game changer for stuff because LVP is really hard for people to, to damage. And when they first started out with LVP was in high traffic hotels and they put them in those high traffic areas because people are running, you know, bags over them and everything else they're trying to, and they can't scratch them up. And so that's what I did. That's got as much, got rid of as much carpet and tile as possible and wood, everything else I could do to put these LVP in there. And that's what I did right there. Got rid of the Formica countertops, put in granite right off the bat because granite's, uh, you, you know, it stands the test for uh, heat and anything else. So I got rid of those. And then I, um, same thing in the bathrooms. I, I made the bathrooms, uh, got rid of anything that would have a joint in the bathroom there's like if that I could so let's just say 
instead of having tile bathroom, a tile wall, yes, it's, it's a uh, cheaper, or I mean, it's, it's a better uh, look, but when you're renting a house out, if you don't want a, a leak in a wall, get rid of those tiles, just put a, a, a regular surround inside of it. And I did that. It was a nice, pretty one. And then with a the tub and I did the same thing down in the downstairs room. So both bathrooms are that way. Um, and then I got a home warranty. Honestly, that was like the, the thing home warranty had that sitting there because at that time I was, you know, I didn't, I had another house that I bought and I didn't have a lot of cash just sitting on the side. So I had that home warranty and I started a, what's called a sink fund. I don't know if you are familiar with sink funds. A hey, sink fund explain is, it. Yeah. Okay. So a sink fund is basically anything that I, I took off the top of, of what I, of my mortgage. So let's just say I rented that house out for, uh, $1,700 a month. My mortgage was $1,200 a month. So now let's say I have $500 of, of cash flow on that house. I would take that $500 of cash flow and put it into the sink fund. And the fund is basically anything that I think that's going to be like the most expensive thing I have to replace on the house. Uh, HVAC unit, roof, something like that, that's going to go out. So we're, we're looking probably about on that house is about $7,500. So what I did is I used, as I had that uh, home warranty. And I, I was like, okay, that was kind of a, uh, a bandaid, if you will, until I got my sink fund built up. So, and then at, over time, I built my sink fund up to the $7,500 was my target goal. And now after, from then on out, I didn't need to pay for a home warranty anymore. That home warranty wasn't something I need to pay for because I had my sink fund there and I just replenished it as I needed. So let's just say a uh, refrigerator went out and I had to buy another $600 refrigerator. Well, I probably got a three hundred dollar refrigerator because I go on Craigslist and find one. But anyways, yeah. I, so I I got my three hundred dollar refrigerator. I take that on sink fund the next day. I put that out of my cash flow. Get that back up to seventy five hundred bucks before I start moving that money to anything else. It's paying back my sink fund to make sure that I can manage that property, and that worked wonderful. Um, I actually had a tenant that um, moved out on me early, and one of those nightmare tenants that moved out on me early and just uh he had kids in the house that were peeing on the carpets and they ripped off the faces of my uh drawers and they did all kinds of it, it ended up getting to where when we went to court i had a fifteen thousand dollar judgment against this guy if wow. i didn't have that if i didn't have that sink fund that sink fund got me to where i needed to go right the sink fund helped for the more miss mortgage stuff and then i got everything set up to where i needed to be to to kind of pay that out i did a lot of my own work where, you know, with the contractors, if they would have came in there, done it, it would have been a lot more expensive. So I think my out-of-pocket cost at the time was like two grand or 2,500 bucks. But if I didn't have that sink fund, I would have been $10,000 I'd have just come up with to make sure that I stayed afloat. So that's why it's really important to build that sink fund um, so that in cases, in, in a case like that, um, that there turned out to a successful story because that guy ended up buying a house and then two years later, got a divorce and had to sell his house. So I got my $15,000 in two years. So you know, not a lot of people get that, but I yeah. did get mine. So, so man, you know, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. And, um, and I think let's start with, uh, with, with the sink fund part of it. Cause I think you're absolutely right. Having reserves is integral to, to any real estate that you end up doing. Cause you're going to have, you're going to have great days and you're going to have bad days and you're going to have days where, you know, a, a time comes, especially in the military, we're going to end up moving away from that place, right? Like you could get stationed in Japan or in Guam, right? And be halfway around the world from these properties. And you have to think about, you know, how much wiggle room do you have in that cash flow? Can you pay for 
uh, you know, a property manager to come in to, to deal with that, uh, to deal with the property. You have a lot of repairs and stuff that need to be done. Right. Um, and I've heard of a lot of people that say, Hey, Oh, my mortgage is this. And you know, I'm, I'm, uh, renting it out for this and everything else is just free money back in my pocket. Right. And they're spending all that money instead of putting it aside for reserves when, when the rainy day comes in, man, I can tell you, I've had, had similar situations where, you know, that, that 2000, you know, $5,000 repair pops up and you're like, ah, shit, like, you know, that's, that's a huge chunk of money that we have to pay, but you have this money set aside just for that. Right. You don't have to yes. dip into your savings. You don't have to dip into, you know, uh, spending that on a credit card. Right. It's a lot less worrisome to have a rainy day fund. Um, and I think to your point, having that for each property is really important as well. Right. Um, and, and eat, the amount of money you're going to put in for each property is probably going to depend on what the property is looking like. But, um, yeah, it's, it saved my ass on a couple of cages of having that money set aside um, and really being disciplined with the fact that you're putting aside all this money, all this cash flow that you're getting or extra money, essentially you're getting and putting it into that fund. Um, and, and knowing, hey, what are the expenses that are going to come up outside of the of the mortgage, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, depending on how, how, uh, how nice or new the property is, you could probably have a lot higher maintenance costs. Um, if you're not replacing a lot of these things up front, like HVAC, replacing your roof, siding, like all these things really add up, particularly if the property is older. Um, and then, so that's, I think that's something really important to keep in mind is, um, yes, it's a rainy day fund and it's good to have that money, but you're going to have something that comes up down the line, like guarantee you something's going to come up and you're going to need that money. So might as well start getting into the habit and building the discipline to, to have that now for each property, um, whatever you're comfortable with, with uh, building that up to. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So um, let's see what else was in, um, talk about there. Oh, oh, the nightmare tenants too, man. You know, it's, it's interesting when you go through evictions, it's kind of almost a coin toss if you're actually going to be able to get anything from them. Right. Yep. Um, and it, have you dealt with any other um, evictions in that manner and, or I guess avoided evictions by doing kind of some creative things to get the tenant out of there or at least get them to pay some sort of money? Yes. So I've, um, so I'm kind of, we, we haven't got to the point where I became a realtor yet. So like right now okay. I'm still just doing my own stuff in the, in the, in the uh, in my timeline here, but as uh, for myself, I haven't had as any other issues where I had to get rid of somebody. Uh, one of the things I learned uh, was background checks and making sure you're doing your due diligence on the front end before you rent this property out to somebody uh, will help you in the back end. Right. Um, so, but I have taken over properties as a property manager and I've taken over some uh, shit shows, if you will. And uh, come actually my sister's house, she had this tenant in there and she wanted to sell her house and that she was in Japan. Um, and she's like, I want to sell my house. Like they, they're just not paying the rent on time. They're not doing whatever. So, you know, there's things you can do where you just raise the rent a little bit. You talk, you know, you've got to talk to them about, Hey, you know, it's not really looking good to your credit. You have to convince them that in some ways to make them understand without being, Hey, get out of my house. Cause some sometimes when you just say, get out of the house and you bring the, the police in there, that, that might be necessary at times, but um, if you can avoid it, the, it's better to avoid it and get them to just pay you stuff ahead of time. Because once you go to court and you put this mandate out there, now you still have to collect and collecting is, is difficult. Um, so with my sister's property, we just, uh, 
went out and I talked to the tenants and I said, Hey, do you know, I'm looking at some, uh, this is where we're moving and we're going to have to, we're going to get a contract on this house. We're going to have to do this. And this is what our plan is. And we, to the point where we gave them first option. If you guys want to buy the house, you can buy the house. And we will sell it to you at this price. Um, and they're like, no, we can't afford it. Okay. Well then we just kind of worked with them for a while. And then said, okay, at this date, we're going to put the house on the market. And we put the house on the market. And that's when they kind of were like, they're kind of being difficult with, uh, with showing the house. Right. So I said, okay, listen, you guys signed this contract. Cause my son signed a contract that we're going to put, put on the market. that said that they're going to be, they're going to keep the house clean and they'll be show ready. And they'll, then they'll be, you know, they'll show the house. So I said, you know, you guys aren't going part of the contract, so we're going to have to evict you and we're going to have to do that. And that's not going to look good on your credit. So if you find another place to rent and you have an eviction out there, that's not going to look good. You're not, it's going to be fine, really difficult for you to find a place to, to live. So then they started being nice and they let us start showing the house. And that, that kind of technique got us to a point where, okay, now once we were under contract and they signed a piece of paper saying that they would be out three weeks prior to the closing date of that contract. So I gave them 30 days, you know, so I made sure that the contract was about a 60 day contract, a longer contract than normal to close on. Um, but uh, that's one goal of doing it. So it's kind of, put, it's almost like pushing them to a deadline, right? And you get them out in that way. The other one is like, you just, we've, we've done it with uh, me and my partner. We, we've done it with about four houses in the last two years where we've had to get tenants out in. Each one has been different. Um, the best we've seen is when we try and work with them and show that we're working with them and, hey, you just tell them that the conditions have changed and this is where we're moving with the property. We've had to raise rent on some and say, hey, look, you know, rent's now at this price and take it up another 400 bucks a month or something. Something, hey, once it gets to this date, it's going up $400 a month. I'm sorry, that's, that's where we have to move it to. And that, that's another motivated factor to get them out of that property there's there's tools you can do uh, to get them out the, the best case is getting them out on their own kind of will where they're like yes they're not wanting to go but you're not saying hey you're not dragging their stuff out of the house right you're not getting the police out there and, and you know evicting them that's when a lot of times you get the damages and, and all that so yeah so so i want to touch on that first part because i i think you, you kind of subtly talked about um <clears throat> this um this idea but so I'm reading a book called The Greatest Salesman in the World. And uh, one of the one of the scrolls it talks about in there is I'll approach each day with love in my heart. And when you're when you're explaining your first situation, that's what I what I thought of. And <clears throat> is, you know, you're you're understanding that the the your renters, you know, want to live there. They want to keep living there. Obviously, their you know, circumstances have changed and you need to sell the house. Right. Um, and you could approach you could have had, approached that situation. Um with a lot more venomous kind of intention, right? Um, they, it could have gotten could have gotten really nasty, right? On either side of that, especially when you know the tenants were were you know were negging on on their side of the contract. Um, but I think yep. there's that that subtle understanding, like, hey, like these are real people here. They have real you know struggles and problems, and you know going through their own stuff in their life. Understanding, like, hey, yes, this is a contract, and we have to uphold the contract. Because otherwise, you know, you're you're just going to let you know, let your tenants kind of run run all over you. And that's when you end up getting damages and squatters and all that stuff. Um, but I think that's a, a really awesome way that you approach that situation with understanding, Hey, like, yes, these guys, you know, reneged on the contractor. They're not following it kind of to the T and the expectations or the handshake agreement that we had. Um, and you, you know, you just said, Hey, you know, 
instead of saying, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to evict you right now. We're going to throw your ass out. Um, you know, come hell or high water, you approach it with the, you know, the understanding like, Hey, this is kind of what we discussed on. And like, this is kind of the consequences of it down the road. And if you don't abide by that, like we're going to have to kind of take, um, irreversible kind of actions to get, to get to that end state. Um, and it's not as much of a threat. It's more of a, Hey, this is like the mutual understanding that we have, and this is the end state that we need to be in. Can we both kind of get ourselves to that point where, you know, it's mutually beneficial for, for all of us. I just thought that was a really subtle, interesting way that you went about, went about that situation that, um, could have escalated very, very quickly. Uh, if you hadn't have thought about it, had one hadn't known what the contract actually says, and two just kind of went combative right off the bat with your, with your yeah. tenants there. That's, and that's another thing I like to do is it, in that kind of situation, I, I have to humanize the contract, right? So I would like where they look at the, the owners of a house, like most tenants look at the owners of a house as a millionaire. Like they've got all this money in the world and they got it to their own expense. They can do whatever, whether that's right or wrong, who cares? But I have to, I, you know, I, I come into the, uh, and tell these people like, look, the owners, you know, they have, you know, two children that they're trying to take care of and them having to pay a mortgage and your rent for their mortgage over here that's very difficult and you're taking food off the table for them. So it's not personal. It's just, they need to look out for their family too. And that's, that's some things that I've had to use as well. Like very humanizing the other side of it. Like, it's not just about what you have going on in your world. You're, you're taking stuff off of people that have taken care of you over the last three years you've lived in their home. And now they're like, Hey, they need to move on to doing something different. So that, that has also been beneficial in the negotiation, if you will. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's just a much huge headache when you have to get combative and, and now you start getting into to damages territory because now they're living in your, in your property essentially for free until you get them evicted and they have free reign to do whatever. Right. I mean, they don't care what happens with, with the walls or the carpet or, you know, the plumbing that goes on, like, gosh, I've, I've heard of, uh, you know, tenants plugging up toilets and just overflowing, you know, uh, bathrooms and just letting it sit there. And it's just us. Uh, sounds like sounds like a nightmare so yeah i think what you're right it's humanizing approaching a situation with it with the fact that the other side are humans as well and they have their own concerns Mm -hmm. and own thoughts and um realizing that hey yeah you have your problems but everyone else does as well i think it's a really good way to go about approaching that situation um and some other things you know i've thought about with with the eviction side or or, uh, at least reclaiming a property is like cash for keys right um, you know, say, Hey, you know, you know, we know you owe this amount of money. Um, if it's an eviction situation, Hey, we'll, we'll settle at this, that this cost, right. Or we'll even pay you and, and kind of, and cut it, call it, uh, call it even, uh, to get the keys back to just kind of walk away. I think it's a, it's a, a, a smart way that, um, gets you the property back, but it also avoids an eviction for, for your tenants as well. Um, uh, if they're willing to, to do that type of situation, you know? Yeah. That's definitely another way. We've done that in uh, another property. Uh, I try to avoid recommending that to any of my uh, homeowners. I try to just get them. My job as a realtor now, as a property manager, is to look out for my best interests of my the client that I have, right? So the homeowner. So my job is I try and get them every piece of money possible out of that property as I can. If it looks like we have to just accept the loss somehow, then we'll try and get whatever we can out of it. But we try to, we will, I will never 
promise them that we're not going to go after the rest of the money. Right. If that makes sense to you. So I'll tell them like, Hey, you know, just you guys, if you can pay this much right now, that's great. We need the keys back. Just pay this much. That'll get us to a certain point that that's better than nothing. You know, and if we can get a little bit more next time, not kind of try and ease it out of them in that kind of way. But I don't ever want to leave them off the hook for the long term because you just like the guy that was in my property, he went and bought a $360,000 house, you know, and then they, they moved into it and he did all that damage on my house. So if I have any kind of stuff on record of that and we go to court and they're like, Hey, well, he said, I don't have to pay. I can only pay $200 more and I'm, I'm off the hook for everything else. We don't know what damages are done in the house. You don't know if they poured cement down your toilets. Or, I'm, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but just right. you don't know what else it did. So you want to make sure that you uh, protect yourself in your words to your tenants. And that's kind of what a property manager kind of helps in that way for, for some for some ways. Right. Um, I For my own personal properties, I've uh, now moving right now I liquidated because I, well, I moved which we'll talk about that later. But mm-hmm. um, my personal properties, I actually moved to where I had my partner as the property manager because there's a there's a difference than, than being represented and when you're representing yourself. It's not like, hey, I'm saying you can't do this to, hey, this is not really what the owner wants. There's a different conversation there. So that's another another thing that I um, to go with that. So, yeah. So, so let's get into that side of, of, uh, of your business. So uh, let's talk about uh, Baker Realties is, um, you know, you went this whole time kind of, kind of buying your own properties and renting them out yourself um, up in the Norfolk area. And, and now you've moved into, you know, owning your own company and, and helping others, um, you know, buy and, and manage homes. So what, what kind of got you to transition into, into becoming a realtor and, and owning your current business? So 17 years in Norfolk, I was helping people get get houses. So I did it like I was there for one year and I got my own house. And then after that, I always told the story, the success story of saying, hey, go get a house. Like even the guys were living in my house and renting rooms for me. I'm like, you need to go buy a house. I wasn't a realtor at the time. I was like, go get a house and you got to do this yourself. And because I I was never the kind of person that thought, oh, my God, if they lose, if they move out, I'm never going to have another person in that room. I'm going to miss out on money. There's always someone else that's going to move in. If you help others, you'll be helped too. And that's how I've always lived my life. So I've always tried to help others get, get, get to that next step in life. And so when I was doing this over like 10 years in, in, in Virginia, I'm helping high school, I'm taking them to realtors over and over again. I'm seeing how much they're cut they're getting. I'm like, ah, now I'll just take my real estate test so I can be a realtor. And once I did that, <clears throat> I was, I was pretty amazed. Like I, I, in the first year, I had my license. I sold five properties and that was just from June to uh, June until January, to January the next year. So the end of December. So, um, and then the next year I sold, I want to say 12. And then now I'm, I'm at the point now where I make more money on my real estate team. That's in Virginia. And I'm down in Florida. I make more money uh, doing that than my salary in the military. So it's, it's kind of changed from that dynamic um, to, to do and the, and the properties are managed and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of work, but when you have a passion for something like uh, real estate, then it doesn't seem like work. I like negotiations. So that's one of my, I like contracts, writing contracts and taking, taking care of people. And, 
And I like the happiness that gives people and the joy that they get. So it's like, uh, it, that's kind of where, where I moved into being a realtor. I was like, that's what I want to do. Um, and then, uh, kind of go back a little bit when I moved to that other house and, uh, out of that first house I had, I was in a house with my wife. Um, I was on deploying, like I was, I deployed, actually I was on seven, 16 years of straight sea duty. So I need to say, she's not my wife anymore. <laughs> she, mm-hmm. she, she was like, this is too much. And she was, you know, moved on. So, uh, I, I was by myself up there. I bought another house or rehabbed it. And I was still working the real estate stuff up there. Um, and then, uh, I was getting ready. I met the, my wife right now. She's the father of my son. I love my life. She's freaking fantastic, which, uh, she's my partner in crime. She's the one that built Baker Realties for me. She is like, she's like, you're doing all this real estate stuff. I'm going to do this. And she built my website out, built everything out for it. And, um, so when we moved down to Florida, that that's our, our thing. And it's going to cap, it's still in the process of capturing over Virginia, Florida, Georgia, Baker Realties. Uh, I still currently just have my license at Schaefer Real Estate in Virginia. And that's where I work on work, have my license up there with my partner and my team that I have up there. Um, so I don't know if I, uh, I think I cleared that up, right? Everything else? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's awesome. Um, you know, what you've been able to, to do while actively serving. So, so let me ask you that then. Um, you know, I've, I've found real estate to be a great side hustle to kind of complement my current, you know, current income over here. Um, but it's, it's, not for the fa- it's not for the faint of heart, right? And you really have to put in the work in it and you have to sacrifices, right? I mean, you're working a whole W-2 and then you come home and you're working a whole nother, a whole nother job, right? You're spending your mornings and your nights and your weekends doing all that. And it's, it's a, it's a big struggle. So, so talk about, you know, what, what really helped with the balance of, of, you know, working your W2 job, obviously for 20 years, but also having this, this side uh, real estate hustle and how you like balance your time and, you know, your energy and, and really your money uh, as, as well um, doing that. And then was it an easy thing for you to do knowing that you were going to be deploying, knowing that you weren't going to probably have contact uh, or even be in the same country as a lot of people that you were trying to help. So that's why I got a partner off the bat. So that's what I ended up doing. And her name's Lisa and she's still my partner up there in Virginia. Um, I, I would work when I was trying to get my business started off, I would work going to my Navy job. And at the time I was just, I think I was the master driver. I wasn't even a warrant officer yet. And then I would come home and be like home like three to 5 p.m. Sometimes at 7 p.m., whatever. But I would just grind it out and uh, look at houses and go around the market and whatever I can until like midnight. And then I'd wake up about five o'clock in the morning. I would do my reading myself, my, you know, all my self-help and then uh, my meditation and everything I would do in the morning time. I have a block of time that I would have for about an hour and a half before I got ready. And part of that's reading, meditation, re- reading my Bible, and then I would go into, at the end, I would start looking over some properties or whatever I had to do to kind of make notifications and set up my day. So I would do that. And then in the car on the way to work, if there's somebody I could call that early just to talk about something for real estate, I would. And then I'd go to work and lunchtime, I'd set up time and my whole, whole lunchtime would be just making phone calls for real estate. And then after I, uh, I'd go back to work for after that. And then as soon as I got home, I'd ride home, I'm calling people for real estate. So, you know, if I need to go do a showing or whatever, I'd do showings at lunchtime. I would, it would, I would just, 
the thing that people don't realize is people that are buying houses also have full-time jobs. So it's not like they're going to show a house in the middle of the day of work week. They're showing the house after hours and on the weekends, right? So as long as I did my due diligence on looking up the properties and doing the research at, you know, from the late hours of the day, like nine o'clock PM to midnight, I got three hours of research, that stuff. Then I can give that emails out in the morning time to all these people. And then I can go show houses in the, at lunch and then in the afternoons. And that's what I did. So I worked around the clock for a good two, uh, I'd say good two years. Yeah, I did. And I still, right now I have more of a, I don't have to do as much of posting on the internet of, of whatever. I have a good following and, I, and we have a lot of repeat business. So I'm not trying to find fresh business. I'm not going and doing the Google ads and paying all that stuff right now, especially in today's market. People that know me and know what I'm doing, they call me, they call me all the time and say, hey, I need to get a house. And we, and we, we take it. I need to sell my house. And uh, r- real quick, one thing that I did that everybody that's changing, uh, you have to change your view of your own sphere of influence of what you do. You can't be like, so me, I couldn't be just, oh, Josh is the Navy diver and all my sphere of influence. I needed everybody to realize that I'm a real estate professional in every sphere of influence that I had. So whenever I would go and talk to people about stuff, it would be about what I was doing in the real estate market. I wouldn't, I, you know, if people ask me about the Navy and what I was doing in the Navy, I'd talk about it. But my passion was about this. And it came naturally because that's what my passion was. And as soon as I changed everybody's, my sphere of influence about what my profession was and what I do, then it was, it came easy because that's where you're going to get uh, a lot of your business. And that's where I got all my business, my sphere of influence. People come, friends, family, and their friends and their family, that, that's who uh, comes to you for business and mm-hmm. treat them right and they'll treat you right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think uh, you're, you're building a whole new brand or identity for yourself separate from, you know, what your military service is or what your W-2 is right now. And I think, I think that's um, a really good point. And you end up finding that um, the people, especially if you're on social media, the people that know you as real estate, you know, real estate Josh or, or real estate professional Josh, um, there's probably 10 other people who are looking at your social media stuff and saying, oh, like, you know, that guy, I didn't know he did that, right? And they're telling yeah. their friends. And it, it really does compound really quickly when like you're the guy that's doing, you know, that's doing real estate in Virginia or in Florida. And that's like what you're known for, right? Uh, word of mouth, I think, is huge within within the uh, the real estate communities, particularly when you're dealing with just buying and selling homes and, and, and single family homes in that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's done wonders for me. For man, I have I have people who reach out to me that are classmates of mine that I've never talked to before, but they're like, "Oh yeah, I heard you're you're doing real estate. Like, I need advice on this or help with this, you know." And you end up contacting, they end up talking to you, and you know, you end up helping them out in any way you can. So, but I can test yep. I can testify to, uh, to, to starting a new identity for yourself that is separate from what your current W2 is and how, how successful you can become doing that. Just being a good person that is known for real estate in this case. Yeah. That, and that's, that's it. And the, and the biggest thing is everybody, when you're helping other people, it's not looking at that's going to be a dollar sign in your pocket down the road. That that's the thing that when, when people can sense that you're doing it for money and you're not doing it out of passion, that that's a, that's a deterrent for people. And you see it all the time. So when you kind of, if you look at it, just helping people and 
I'm telling you, they're going to help you. That's just the, that's the, my biggest thing. I don't, I've, there's so many times that I've helped somebody uh, through a real estate deal or whatever that I wasn't even a part of just because they're calling me and asking me, my, you know, one, my brother up in Michigan, I don't, my license isn't up there. Um, he's calling me, asking me questions all the time. Hey, what should I do? And I'll help inform his realtor on it. Actually, I referred his realtor the the business and which gave me 25% of the commission, but I gave it back to my brother and just said, just put it back on his, you know, for him to, to, you know, take it off the top of the purchase price of the house or whatever. So like the, once you get the idea of you're not doing that, just to, you know, everything's a, a paycheck and you're doing it just to help people. And you got that passion. It's so crazy on how much the, you know, the reward just comes back at you. Um, and I, I can't emphasize that enough. What I've seen so many people that get into this market or get into this business or realtor or whatever they're doing. And they're just trying to uh, monetize everything that they're doing. Well, that's not gonna make money. So why not do it? Well, it's not about, that conversation where they have that one person about making the money, but the conversation that person has with somebody else and somebody else and somebody else, that's what can come back and help you out down the road. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. What goes around comes around. Absolutely agree with that. Um, well, cool, Josh, we're getting towards the end of the, uh, end of the show here. I want to get into the uh, snapshot round. You ready for it? Yes. All ahead, blank cavitate snapshot tube tube. All right, Josh, first question for you. What is your number one failure in real estate? Uh, I, sh- I should have got licensed earlier. I uh, should have got licensed earlier and um, I should have bought more houses. Love it. Great. Um, as an active duty investor, what advice do you have for other military investors to be successful? Well, like I said earlier on in the podcast was make sure that you, you control your debt to income ratio and that you're not going out and buying that really fancy car or doing whatever, make sure you have it to where you're at. And then once you get properties, as you improve the properties, leveraging the money that you have on the equity in that house to buy other properties, that's the best way to do it. And your debt to income is going to, uh, is what's going to help you start that. So keeping your debt to income low, getting approval for whatever credit you can to buy the property. And then as you control that, get equity in there, using the equity to as leverage to buy other properties. Love it. All right. Uh, what inspired you to serve your country? Um, my, both my grandfathers were in the military. Uh, my dad and my mom, uh, uncles, that's been a long line of, of military family. So uh, even though my dad did four years and got out and he was in, the, he's working in the automotive industry, it was still some kind of passion. I wanted to go and serve my country. So. Okay. Got it. And last question for you. What is your dream? My dream is to create a create an environment that supersedes me. And if that's uh, you know uh, a, a business, whether it's real estate or not, that is that self-sustaining that continues to to better for people and families, including my own, my son, that could he can inherit this and his sons can inherit it down the road. And that's what my goal is down the road. And I, I want that uh, for, and not just to give some, to give him to, so he can just have something. I want him to work for it, you know, for my son to work for it, but I want it just to be something that's self-sustainable and it outlives me. Love it. All right, Josh, that was, it's been a tremendous interview. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. Um, you know, as 
not only being active duty and for 20 years, uh, but also building a, you know, a real estate empire during that time in, in your, you know, Baker Realties. I think it's, uh, it's, it's tremendous what you've been able to do uh, when you just kind of put your mind and, and your body and soul into it and have a passion for that. Um, and when it becomes more less of a side hustle and more of like your, you know, your true other job that you're running. Right. Um, but, you know, it takes sacrifice. It takes struggle. Um, you're going to have up days and, and down days. But uh, I appreciate you kind of sharing um, your own experiences and experiences that you've had with uh, with other clients as well. Um, so if people want to learn more about you or contact you, where can they go? So if you go to bakerrealties.com, you can just get everything on there. It, it, my, my wife's done a great job in, in setting that up. Um, you can email me at josh at bakerrealties.com. Um, and I believe my Instagram and Facebook is all on the Baker Realties website as well. So, okay. so it's kind of a one-stop shop. Perfect. And uh, yeah, we'll link that in the, uh, in the show notes as well. But again, Josh, thanks for coming on. Hope you stay safe uh, back in the States. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk with you later. Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for listening. If you are a military investor and found this episode of the Lessons in Real Estate show packed with great information, tell your friends and leave a five-star rating on your listening platform. Every comment is read and appreciated. Don't forget to check out our weekly episodes of PCI Teaches, brought to you by Pinto Capital Investments. Learn about basic and advanced topics in real estate investing. Catch updates on Anthony's journey through learn and teach segments. And listen to the tales of other military investors and real estate professionals every week. We'll catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate show.